Hello, I'm Jensen Beeler. And I'm Quentin Wilson. And together we are the Two Enthusiasts Podcast. The Two Enthusiasts Podcast. The stuff that Kenny Loggins songs are made of. <laughs> no. Danger Zone! Oh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, right. No. Playing with the boys, right? <laughs> right? <laughs> I mean, like I can keep, I can keep uh, going, no, but it that, just gets dirtier and dirtier. As far as you'd want to go, yeah. It's that's that's a rabbit hole. Kenny Loggins songs. I don't know where I was. I think it was on the the SCR nine fifty press launch. We were driving by like some billboard in the middle of like Southern California, and it was like Kenny Loggins playing at like some casino in of Reno. Of course, it's gonna be casino. Sure. And he was just like, "What is that? That's got to be like just." Three songs and he's done. Like, like, what is? What's that set list look like? I bet he has a. It's a, just Danger Zone after Danger Zone. I'm gonna have to look that up because I don't really know. He's got a few. He's got a few. He's got like four or five good songs. All right, well, well, famous songs. He got, he was dude. He was hip before it was hip to be hip. His yeah. beard is on point. Yeah, he would be killing it right now if uh, he wasn't like 60 or something. <laughs> Old as Kenny Long. Dude, born in Everett, Washington. That's pretty close, right? That's interesting. He's a Northwesterner. Anywho. Let's uh let's not talk about Kenny Loggins. Let's talk about some motorcycles because we've uh we've had a busy week of biking, I should say. Yeah, sure. Uh we took what was it, Monday off? No, it was no Tuesday. Tuesday, because you actually had to take time off from work. Yeah, I, I normally just... have Mondays off. And I went riding dirt bikes. Yeah. Which was awesome. Yeah, yeah, that's right. I saw that. Sure. And then a typical Tuesday for me where I just kinda did nothing. Except for ride dirt bikes. Yeah, well, we got to ride some dirt bikes, which was nice. Yeah, so, it was really cool. So we should clue our, our listeners in. We had uh, some of the guys from Alta Motors come up. They were passing through, and they had some business in town as well. Uh, bring up the Redshift MX, which is an electric dirt bike, and we took it out to a place called Brown's Camp, which is just outside of Portland, and we did a little rapidy. Well, I can't even say we did some rapidy rap because it was more like a zappity zap. Yeah, zap, zappity. Yeah, we're yeah. going to have to call it zappity. Yeah. Zapping. We did some zapping. That's not doesn't sound as good. No, it's not good, but you know, that's like, the problem. Like, zapping's like like my mental image is like when you pee on an electrical fence and you get a little zapping. But never done that. Even though I grew up in Texas and there was lots of electrical fences, you just learn to test them with the back of your hand, right? Because yeah. otherwise your hand will when you hit the when the, the electricity flows through, it makes you clench. clench yeah. And then you just right. Just, then you don't want to clench. No, no, no clenching. Clenching's good in a lot of cases, right? You gotta do that. I'm right, curious but, to see where you go with this. Continue, yeah. please. <laughs> sometimes you got to clench. There's no way this is going to end well. No, I'm just saying. Sometimes you got to clench. Uh, but not when you're grabbing onto an electrical fence. So, yeah. never peed on one. Don't know. Uh, bzz, you know, I was trying to like hashtag bzz. Yeah. I don't know. It just looked like you're like trying to be a bee. Bzz, bzz, bzz. Yeah. Uh, so, that was fun. Definitely want to talk about that. But I think before we do, let's talk about some newsy stuff because it's been kind of a busy week for the industry. Hmm. Um, Harley Davidson just debuted their ninth iteration of their big twin uh, motor. The Milwaukee 8. The Milwaukee which sounds like a Quentin Tarantino movie. I know. Movie. It's the Hateful 8. Yeah. <laughs> you know? It's probably going to end up being the Hateful 8 for a bunch of old school. The Panhead guys are like, God damn, Hateful 8. I hate that thing. It's got four valves per cylinder. It's got way too many valves. That's too much. My rockers last forever. <laughs> I love the... Um, <laughs> I love the press release because it's just you can tell like they ran out of things to say because they're like, oh the 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 pure sound. There's more power. It, it lasts longer. 
Uh, there's, it doesn't vibrate as much, and the sound is purer. You're like, what is Pure. that? What does that even mean? Pure sound. Is it just like it's it's more potatoes? Like I don't. <laughs> it, it's meteor people. It, They're like Idaho potatoes instead of fucking. They should call the little... Idaho eight, not the Milwaukee <laughs> eight, the Boise eight. I don't know. It just to be fair, and, and the fingerling eight, <laughs> little potato. Yukon, the Yukon eight. <laughs> I don't know. We can just keep naming potatoes. I don't know that many potatoes. Though. No, I don't know either. Though we, you know, if for those who don't know, because you know what, I bet there's a lot of people that don't. Harley Davidson attempted to patent the sound of their engine. And in that, in the, wasn't it in the legal documentation? They, they made the sound potato, potato, potato. Is that right? I don't know if that particular part is correct, but they definitely t- tried to get some intellectual property yeah. uh, rights to the, the, the irony. sound. <laughs> Which is weird because, like, I, I don't hear potato, potato, potato when I hear Harley. And I, I try to hear it and yeah. I just don't get it. I don't know where people get that from. Maybe I'm just a little deaf. It just kind of no, kind of sound the same to me. No, that sounds like a fart. A barely controlled No, it fart. sounds like an engine that's about to stall. It just sounds like something that's <laughs> like there's just something not quite right there. Like like your bike's about like you need to check your your, your stuff there, Sonny. Because it's like when you hear a dry clutch yeah. come up, you're like, oh, man. Oh, what's going on with your bike? It's knocking or something. I don't know. Something like that's going on there. What's wrong? Yeah. How would you do that? Um, So the Harley, I will say it's cool. In some iterations, they're doing water cooling in the heads because really the four valves per cylinder is about efficiency. And it's a... it's yeah, they were saying stable it, for 50, 60 years at this stage. Yeah, right? the four valves flows 50% more in and out of the uh, intake and exhaust. Yeah, it's going to be better. And it's making what, 10% more horsepower, weighs the same as the twin cam engine that it replaces. Yeah. So, you know, yay. Yeah. I, I had a really hard time getting excited about it. It was a big story for those publications that have Harley Davidson as an advertiser. But for me, just, whatever i was just having a hard time like congratulations welcome to the 1970s <laughs> i don't know yeah so. but that's you know to be honest like that's the that's me being shitty but me being honest and, and real i had to say this to someone today as well harley davidson isn't about the product and people that get all upset about oh this is that antiquated technology and da 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 and whatever it's not about you know, Harley Davidson riders aren't about having the most technologically advanced machine. They aren't about having the latest and greatest whistles and bells and all these things. They want them. They want the creature comforts. But mm. for them, it's very much the experience. It's very much the camaraderie, the club. It's bar. It's about being part of the bar and shield brand. It's about going to Sturgis or Daytona Bike Week or riding through the Badlands of South Dakota or whatever, whatever that is to them. But it's it's so much more than the product, and I think that's where I'm hoping Indian doesn't get it wrong. But that's where kind of Victory got it wrong. That's where the Japanese manufacturers got it wrong. I think that's where Ducati is having to wrap their head around with the XD Oval. It's 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 not enough to come out with a superior bike. You have to provide a superior experience and a superior brand and lifestyle and all and, that. And jazz. even even then, sometimes you just can't overcome that bar and shield as the thing like people oh it's not a harley period well, and that's and that's why i think indian is the only brand out there that could do it because it's the only brand that has a cachet of americana and history and you know a, a backstory that can resonate with people in the same way it's the only brand i see that could that could yeah. be harley you know do a harley davidson type of maneuver 
Sure. But time will tell whether or not Polaris has the chops to make that that play because it's not an easy play. So it's interesting to see Harley Davidson coming out with this engine. I'm sure it helps with emissions, and uh, we'll get them to Euro Four. It was interesting just to see actually. Victory came out with their 2017 line in Europe and pared it down significantly because a lot of the models weren't Euro Four compliant. So. You know, it's definitely something that these American cruiser brands need to think about more carefully, especially as the EPA restrictions get a little bit tighter. We have CARB to think about, but then abroad we have Euro 4, we have the Japanese regulations, we have Australia and all these other markets that are, that quite frankly, are, are clamping down on on carbon dioxide and, and greenhouse gases. Yep. So, interesting. Yeah, sure. But again, kind of meh. Yeah. Doesn't, right. doesn't blow my hair back, but... For one and two American motorcyclists, this is probably a really big deal. So, congratulations to you. Uh, Quentin, did you see the MV Augusta F4Z photo that came out today? I did. What are your thoughts on that? As I said, it's not the droid I'm looking for. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, it's a little weird, right? Yeah. Do you you like it or not? I don't dislike it. I don't immediately say, ooh, I'd, I'd like to see that in person. I think it would actually. Sure. Yeah, you got to see. I think it would be interesting to see from you know standing at six foot tall, looking down at it. Um, I like something different. I do. I don't mind. You know, it's like when the nine 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 came out. I'll hate on it all day long, but I will admit that was it was avant garde in its own way, and it was it was interesting to see somebody do something different. This is a little bit too much reminiscent of the uh, the Lotus. Remember the Lotus bike? Yeah. So that kind of the C one enclosed. Thing. Um, yeah, whatever. Yeah. It's um yeah, it's really it's really hard. So so Massimo Tamburini inked the original MV Augusta F4. And now Adrian Morton, who's in charge of CRC, who does all the design for or, or I should say oversees all the design for MV Augusta, you know, he's made the modern iteration of the F4 and it's very much Tamburini's design taken in a modern light. And that's tough. It's hard to play it's hard to play the sequel to, to something that Tamburini did. Tamburini's famous for the 916 design. He's famous for the F4, for the Brutale. You know, some of these bikes that are just known to be classic, iconic motorcycle designs. They're in the Guggenheim, for Christ's sake. Yeah. Um, so then you take that kind of design language, and then you try and do something different with it. You try to use that as a platform for something else. And that that's a real challenging task. So... So for those that don't know, MV Augusta partnered up with Zagato, which is uh, based in Milan, Italy. They're an automotive design house known better for their cars. And Zagato came out and has kind of done their own take on the F4. And it's more of a street bike than it is a super bike. It looks more like a super modern cafe racer kind of experiment. And it's out there. I mean, it looks like um, something out of a... Like the headlight for me is just like straight out of a video game. I had a lot of commenters posting up um, different video games, or they were saying like War of the Worlds. It kind of has that like tripod oh, alien yeah, thing totally. going on. Yeah, that's right. Sure, they should paint it green or have a green glow coming from the from un- interior. Like little ground effects. Yeah, that'd be awesome. That'd be a little like circa nineteen ninety. Yeah, well, that'd be rad. There's a Buell in my in the at uh, at the uh, Motocorsa Prion shop that has a pink frame and it oh, has yeah. like purple glow. It's kind of sweet. I like it. I like it a lot. That bike's, yeah, I feel like that bike's been ridden hard and put away well. It has, yeah. and that's it's what makes it cute. Uh, Zagato, should, if, if 
there's a lot of people who don't understand what coach builders are and or were. So Pininfarina, um, Zagato, uh, Bertone. I don't know if that's how you say Bert- Bertone. Um, all all design houses in Italy that would take existing vehicles and kind of give them a little bit of an extra or for the manufacturer, they would create the the design, right? And Zagato, if you want to see some of the stuff they've done, I would say the two most, well, the, the two that are the, the strangest, mm, one of the most beautiful is Alfa Romeo TZ2. So just do a quick internet search for Alfa Romeo TZ2. It was like, you can't get more iconic, curvy 60s sports car shape. And then also check out the Alfa Romeo SZ. And it is a late 80s, early 90s Zagato. And it is a bizarre looking car. So it kind of shows you the... (laughs) Watching Jensen's face right now is like, yeah. The TZ2, you had me. I was like, that's a good looking car. Yeah, that's beautiful. This SZ, I'm just like, what the... Burn him with fire. What'd you do? Well, you can see where... What'd you do? But you kind of look at both of those and you can understand where the shape... Well, what they they kind of have a design. They look. have a thing. They have a they thing. Have a they thing. have a, a language that they're expressing. There we go. So yes. their language might be, um, you know, a middle finger to the rest of society that likes pretty designs. I don't know, but yeah, I don't know. It's it's going to be a bike that someone gets into. It's yep. it's not for me. I don't really care for it. I we were talking before the show. Good to see someone taking a risk. Yep. Good to see someone just saying like, "Hey, here's something you haven't seen before. Let's try it out." Uh, I think for most motorcyclists, it's going to be a little too radical. For me, I think I think it'd be okay. I don't really care for the seat shape, um, and I really don't care for that windshield. But the rest of it, I could probably be like, yeah, all right. I'll take your War of the World headlight, and I raise you, you know, some brappiness, some brappy good times. <laughs> um, <laughs> but it'll be interesting to see. So, so right now, we just have computer renderings. Those are actual renders, not photos, which I think some people missed. Um, I saw somewhere there was a picture of it like disassembled. There are some photos that leaked out of Verace where they were building it and working on it um, that showed in various states of undress. But the official photos, the official renders that came out are just that renders. Okay. But it'll be interesting to see. I mean, Envigus is trying. They're, they're, in, they're still in a awkward place financially they are going to probably have to scale back their production i'll be very curious to see what they debut uh at icma this year i think we can count on them kind of having to shift gears and going into a new direction so i'm very curious to see where they go with that sure we can expect their three-cylinder lineup to to get pared down a little bit they need to build a new four-cylinder my understanding is they'll probably build like a four-cylinder like adventure sport touring kind of thing. And mm. then we'll probably see a superbike a year or two years down the line. Um, probably much the dismay of the superbike team, but yeah, that's, that's life right now for them. Sure. So, uh, be curious to see. And then of course, you know, this bike, I, I don't know quite what the intention is for production. I'm not sure if it's a gun and production model, if it's going to be a limited production or if there's going to be like four or five of them kind of thing. I, I haven't quite seen the memo on that and I can't quite pull it out of my mind if I have. So interesting right now it's them getting headlines. So yep, cool. Cool. Next. Whatever. Next, uh, we'll keep it. We'll keep it Italian because we got some spy photos from uh, our photographer friend uh, at Oswald and Robert. So first up, Ducati is looks like they've got a air cooled monster that they're out testing, and whether or not 
it looks like it's got the Scrambler 803cc air-cooled engine in it. It's got a very Scrambler-esque swing arm, but it's a different chassis than the Scrambler. So it's its, its own bespoke chassis. Looks like maybe it'll be a lower-end monster either for the U.S. and Europe, or as someone pointed out, it could be for like the Australian market or one of those overseas markets where they need like a, a, a Lambs, a Learners. Yeah. Uh, Japanese for type sure. Bike that for for restricted licenses. Yep. Uh, so that'll be interesting to see where that comes out. But I, I I do think we'll see it for the North American European market, just because the other part of that news is we're almost guaranteed to see the Ducati Monster Eight Twenty One become the Nine Three Nine. Yeah. And there were spy photos out there that were supposed to allege that. I I looked at them and I couldn't tell you if it was a revised Twelve Hundred or a Nine Three Nine because the engines are so similar and how they. Sure are set up and there's no real, at least not from my eye, any good giveaways on what we were looking at. But it's, it's you know, as soon as we saw the Hyper Motard 939 get announced, it shares an engine with the, the Monster. It only makes sense that they would bump the Monster up to 939, uh, especially for Euro 4. And then that kind of puts it in like this awkward place displacement-wise and price-wise where something smaller, maybe yeah, air-cooled, could right. come in at a price point. If you're trying to get to that like eight thousand, nine thousand dollar price point, um, and for people that don't necessarily want to ride a scrambler, and don't want to ride a scrambler, they want like a street bike. They want like a more upright, street naked rather than the the scrambler, which yep. is really low. I rode one the other day, and it was really, I forgot how low that seat is. And there's some things about it that don't lend itself necessarily to being a great. And and they're seeing it in the sales. They sold like hotcakes last year, and now they're just cool. They're not. I'm cooling down, you mean? They're not like cool, like no. The they're just it has cooled down yeah. significantly, right? It's I'd love to see the numbers, but I know at our shop we're not even close to selling as much as they did last year. Um, so typical uh, poor marketing, where they're like, "All right, laurels, boy, all these all these laurels are so comfy. Why don't we just gather them up? We did so well. Just, we're just so, fall asleep. In oh, them. I'm just gonna curl up with all these laurels and just just love to lay in them." Yeah, that's that's what's going on. So same same goes with a lot of the products, but whatever. So monster, they know the monsters. We know that is something that that will sell absolutely, especially if it's a smaller one. And they're probably going to rekindle that. Like I I was at a Ducati shop in 1999 when the 750 monsters were being sold. It was an amazing thing. Monster darks, right? They were a price point bike, right? And right. they were yeah. just hot cake, hot cake, yeah. hot cake. And we still see them all the time now. Yeah, so that that'll be cool. Hopefully, poor man's Ducati. Yeah, I guess they're still going to be expensive, right? I don't think they're going to make a six thousand dollar monster. That's no, right. no, they're not. And that that was something that I think um, I'd brought up as well because we had that that concept sketch from Oberdin Bezzi, and it was a what was he calling it? It was the Honda CB eleven hundred R was his concept name, and but what it was it was a it was a CB eleven hundred dressed up in an RC30 set of plastics. Mm-hmm. And it was this idea of like, you know, a more affordable, more back to basics kind of street bike, sport bike. And that is something that's kind of missing from this industry. And that is something, well, it's missing from some brands, I should say. But, you know, we are seeing some growth. We are seeing some movement in that. And it, and we're seeing it with especially younger riders. And I brought up to you, I think the, I think I was talking to you, the, the statistic, there's 1.3 
trillion dollars in student loan debt right now in the U.S. It's up. <laughs> yes, it's right. up from six hundred billion five years ago. So it's almost doubled, and it's more than doubled in five years. And it's this idea, like you know, we talk a lot about how are we going to get millennials on bikes, how we're going to get younger Gen Xers on bikes. Well, you know, these are the same people that are coming out of college massively in debt. You know, having to make different lifestyle choices, maybe not going to buy a house in their lifetime. Maybe you're going to just be renters. Maybe they don't own a car. Uh, the original story that I saw was talking about in the automotive industry, how the how the automotive industry is dealing with the idea that maybe there's a certain demographic that doesn't want to buy a car or can't buy a car. And it's not necessarily a credit thing, although some of it surely is, but it's just like the... I don't want to have the debt thing. It's like sure. I already I already got like, hey, a hundred grand in student loans, and I'm of this generation. I had a quarter million dollars in student loans. <laughs> it was insane. Um, so how do you turn around and then be like, oh yeah, I'm gonna go finance this, you know, fifteen thousand dollar bike, and then I'm gonna go get that mortgage, and then I'm gonna get a car that's got like you know five hundred dollar a month payment on it or whatever it is. You know, we live this. We kind of created like this society of of debt, and I think there's a younger demographic that's coming through and that's rejecting that. I'm one of them. I when I when I was racing, I racked up some credit card debt, but I don't think I let it get anywhere past like five grand. And I wasn't all about that. Yeah. And and uh, I have not actually used a credit card in five years, six years now. Like literally, I haven't. So it's it hurts and it hurts my credit, and that's why I hate the I hate the whole fucking thing. Right. I, I hate it. I don't like to be anywhere near that. And I it's a fucking racket. And it, and it's frustrating to watch the people that get sucked into it, especially with student loans. It's like, are you kidding me? That that should even possibly be allowed. That makes me blood boil. Right. Yeah. Try <laughs> when I went to college, my first year was at like the super low government rate. And of then course. the next year, the law changed. So I went from like a one percent rate to seven percent. Oh, man. So awful. Can you imagine? But like, and you needed that. You needed that to get through four years of school. I was lucky that I came out of college pretty much debt free because I was a California resident going to a UC school. I had four jobs in college. I worked my butt off. And that was, you know, that was easy to stay afloat on. I have yeah. a little bit coming out, but, you know, yeah, nominal. But then you go to graduate school and it's just fuck beans. It's just silly town. But it's, it's, on the same token, though, like I totally started Asphalt and Rubber. My, I, I joke around like my key investors for Asphalt and Rubber. I was, I was really lucky. I got, I got financial backing from two great venture capital groups. One was called Visa, and the other one was called Mastercard. <laughs> and you know, and like there is some extent where like access to capital, access to money. Yeah, you kind of have to have it to be able to do certain things. Sure. You know, I wouldn't have been able to get Asphalt and Rubber off the ground if I didn't have access to credit. Yeah. It just, it just wouldn't happen. I wasn't profitable right off the bat. I had to, I literally had to live in my mom's basement to get this off the ground and it sucked, but you do it. Well, and now it's, it's one of the more critical things watching it in a motorcycle shop and how motorcycles are sold. It's all based off of who can afford the payment. Yeah. Yeah. There's a f many times somebody comes in and pays cash and like, Oh, I'll give you, I'll give you, uh, you know, let's say if it's a 12 grand bike, I'll, I'll give you 10, but I'll do it with cash. Which well, is zero incentive. No, now. in fact, that's negative. It's yeah. like, oh, well, that, that, that means nothing. I'm not going to make money, any money out of the back end. And so we're, we're based on that. And, I, you know, as schmarmy as it is, frankly, though, that's what sells bikes. And more than anything, having multiple lenders and being able to 
frankly, lend to subprime people is more important than any other thing that I've seen over the year of doing this uh, sales side stuff. And I, I hate it, but that's the reality. If somebody has the, the lust in their heart for you name the motorcycle, it's, it's tough to get a lot of them financed. And that, that's what makes the world go around in this industry. So here's a question. How many, say, millennial age type people do you see walking through the door that pay cash? No, I, like, if any. Yeah, not many. Yeah. They're every once in a while. There are, there are a few. There, but Portland's a strange bubble of young money with Nike, Adidas, Intel, uh, Under Armour, a few. I don't think it's that weird. I think that's very common now in a metropolitan sense. And maybe it's weird for America as a whole. But like what you just said, like I can say that's San Francisco, that's LA, yeah. that's New York, that's Boston, DC. Pick a town with, you know, close to a million people, and that's probably true. There's some there's some organization there that's hiring young people and putting a lot of dollars sure. into their wallets. Sure. And they're they're oh well. We it runs the gamut. It runs the gamut. There's still people that come in and pay cash, and there's still people that finance themselves from ninety-six months at ten percent just to have that sweet, sweet Ducati, right? Well, I think, and that's the point I think I was trying to drive when you look at the quote, you know, post-authentic or the hipster or whatever cafe racer scrambler retro thing that's going on. What you're seeing is bikes that people could buy on Craigslist for two, three grand, put that same amount of value in and have something that they really cherish for like five grand. There's nothing new on the market that you can do that with. You know, like we were talking a little bit, I think, on the last show about the the SCR, that, that Yamaha Scrambler thing. And it maybe, you know, I think it misses the mark on a lot of levels, but at least like it's a good base where you could like conceivably for 10 grand kind of modify it and customize it into something much closer to what you would want. But I think that's where I think the Scrambler and, and these kind of like air-cooled bikes could really have a resonance where, you know, it would appeal to buyers because they, they can get the price point cheaper. So it's that, that kind of point where like, hey... Here's a bike you could come in, pay cash for, save up and pay cash for and own outright and not have to do the whole credit rigmarole, which is kind of fitting into their lifestyle choice to begin with and start taking a bite out of that used market where it's like, yeah, I'm going to get that Honda CB, you know, 350 and customize it and make my little retro racer or whatever that needs to be to, to fit my little you know, lifestyle. Motorcycles are always a reflection of our lifestyle choices. So I think that's something that the motorcycle industry has missed. And I think that's kind of what that concept from, from Obert and Bezzy was hitting on. It's this idea of like, hey, this is just a Honda CB dressed up like a RC30, two bikes with a long history in the Honda yeah. line. Yeah, sure. And it could be cheap and it's interesting and it's basic and it's simple. And, you know, you could just use wrenches to to do all the maintenance on them on. You don't need to hook a computer up to it. And, you know, man, this could be yours for seven, eight grand. I don't know. You could pay cash for it. Or or just have such a ridiculously low payment after you put a down, you know, payment on it that it's it's very, very affordable that it's not like you yeah, know, and you're that's underneath the weight of this 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 monthly payment that you have to make. Sure. And that's what we're trying to hit. This is the thing with the motorcycle industry. We're not competing against each other. I'm not I'm not competing against BMW or KTM or Honda. We're competing against kayaking, rock climbing, skydiving, hiking, being out in the woods, at least in Oregon. We're, we're competing against the state of Oregon. You're, for, you're competing for, on consumer discretional income is what yeah, you're saying. Yeah, sure. That's what it is. And, and consumer discretional income might be different in Milwaukee than it is here, than it is in Los Angeles, et cetera. But it's choices. It's like I'm either going to get into 
motorcycles or I'm, I'm going to get into shooting or fishing or like you said, kayaking, rock climbing, yeah, video games. Sure. You know, whatever, whatever that, that free time activity is that costs you money. Yep. And motorcycling, unfortunately costs a shit ton of money or can do, especially if you get wrapped up into the, the BS of the, the brands, right? Like to have these fancy brands and I say BS, but it's not really BS. It's just, I fuck, I'm wrapped up into it. I don't like the looks of Japanese bikes. Now I like the looks of Ducatis. I don't like the feel of Japanese bike. I like the feel of Ducatis, right? So the, once you get wrapped into it, you're hooked and that's what they count on. And same goes for a BMW, I, I would assume and KTM, right? You get into something different. You want to be, you want to set yourself apart from the rest. So that's what, that's what people are getting into some of these bikes for. Um, and that, that's, that's a very tangible thing you're in and, and to pay the extra money for it instead of going to, I don't know, kayak, I, I, I would love to be able to get into all those things, but I put my money in the motorcycling. Another thing is the safety factor. Um, a lot of people are scared of it and still are. And so this is what the industry needs to look at very deeply. It's like, okay, how can we show that motorcycling is the shit compared to, and, and is something that you should do first and then have your life augmented with other things, but always have a motorcycle. And it blows my mind when people are like, oh, I'm not going to really have a bike now. I'll wait. I'll, I'll, I'll have one later on. So for me, that's so antithetical to my personal life where motorcycles are key and crucial. And if you're into it and, and you're not into it enough to always have at least one motorcycle, I think you're freaking nuts. But you know, that's, that's why we're too enthusiasts. <laughs> oh, right? yeah, that's why we're here. Uh, well, that, I think that's something that needs to always be kept in perspective, especially when you talk to people in the industry. Like, we've, we've had the Kool-Aid. You know, we're hooked on it. We drink it every night. It's delicious. We are, we are, we are a group that's outside the standard deviation. And it's the same thing that goes with, and I, I say this time and time again, like Harley Davidson. Like, Harley Davidson is the norm in a lot of ways in American motorcycling because it's 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 one and two new motorcycles sold it's billions of dollars into the industry it's it's you know look at like the top 5 motorcycling events in the US and they probably all involve cruisers you know bike week sturgis yeah. I could just you know it's the norm but norm do you know do you know what that means norm like from cheers yeah, yeah. so proud yeah wow Kelly, 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 K E L L. Fuck yeah, man! Wow, I'm so stoked that you knew that. Yeah, All I'm right. tuned in. Okay, yeah. sorry, sorry. All right, yeah, I really, uh, really just yeah, you're really you're, you're gonna just... have to fucking. There's gonna be editing. No, it's no, gonna go for I'm an not hour. editing this one. I'm not. A, this one's just all free fro. No, so whatever, whatever little screws we make. <laughs> You know, if okay. you say Bukaki, it's staying in here. <laughs> it's staying in here. <laughs> Send your emails to two enthusiasts at asphaltmember.com. Uh, so, so Harley Davidson is very much the norm of the industry, but, but the reality is it's, it's that standard deviation out as well. It's its own little thing. It's its own little club. Harley Davidson riders have very different values than other motorcyclists. I would almost say Harley Davidson riders aren't motorcyclists just because they're so different. And I don't mean that in a derogatory way. I mean that in a way to define them. Yeah. You've been saying as that being for a while. different from Honda riders, Yamaha riders, BMW yep. riders, Ducati riders. And then, you know, as you get into the brands, you get into town that like BMW rabbit hole and the Ducati rabbit hole and to some extent like the KTM and Triumph rabbit holes. They're a little different too. But I think they're close enough to the 
to the median that you can still kind of hold them as, as being a part of the group. But you know, you were saying like, Oh, you know, a motorcycle, I'll get that later in life. I think that's very much like a hardly value. Like I'm a dentist, I'm 50, I'm having a midlife crisis. My kids are going to college. I'm going to get a Dynaglide and just, you know, dress like a pirate on the weekends. <laughs> you know, like that's, that's just what I'm going to do. Whereas oh, the pirate, <laughs> whereas, but like, I remember when I lived in Italy, I lived in Florence and I was right down town near a school and like, where my apartment door was, was like the go-to place to park. If you were 15, it was like the go-to place to park your scooter after school and make out with your girlfriend on the back of the scooter. And it was very, it was very interesting. Like it's not like an American high school experience. You know, you get the big American car, you go out to make out point and you do a little necking in the back seat. Sure. The fog up those windows. Yeah. You fog up those windows. The Italian version was go park your scooter somewhere in downtown you know, the guy and the girl on the very back of the scooter, you know, it was very, it was very strange. I was like, uh, oh, what a, what a very similar cultural thing to do in such a very different way. But it's that same idea though. Like when you're in Europe, you see young people on scooters as their primary form of transportation because they can't afford cars because insurance yeah. is insane and gas prices are insane and, and parking and, and learners permits and all that stuff. And it's the same thing. You see a lot of, you see a lot of women. Like I remember Milan, I just, I remember seeing more women on scooters getting stuff yeah. done and running their errands during the day. And it's just very much of like, this is a urban density transportation solution. And we don't really have that in the U S because we have cars and we don't really treat motorcycles like that because it is consumer discretionary income and not trans transportation uh, and as as the key use we should say and i think that that very much has to do with the harley mentality because we look at bikes as if these are midlife crises basically yeah and we don't really pitch the idea of like do you really want to go buy that subaru maybe you should get like a honda ruckus that's the value proposition that we're that we're missing out on and that's i think a good segue into us talking about Altimotors, which is an electric bike, because yep. there's these good applications of of motorcycles in urban settings and in lifestyle settings, I think that make a lot of sense. And we've really missed that that approach. And it's difficult. There's actually, and it's interesting, there's a really strange breakpoint between five and ten thousand dollars where it's almost a given that you're gonna have to go through five people on any given bike to find one that has good enough credit to be able to afford. Oh, absolutely. Because number one, it's used, right? It's used, so it's harder to get uh, banks to loan on something like that. And that that price point is just enough, right? Well, I, can, I can tell you, I can tell you one hundred percent why. Because up to five grand, you can save up and you can pay cash for it. Yeah. You know, if you really yep. really want something yep. and you have a job, you can save money. You can scratch together five grand. It might take you a few months. It might take you six months. It might take you a year. But you want it. You can save for it. If you're that cash poor yep. kind of person you can make that happen but at the 10 grand point at that point it's like that's a lot of money you know for if you're that cash strapped yeah. person who's making like 40k a year now you're talking about 25 percent of their annual income yep that's a lot of money that's a serious investment they can't be wasting it on wasting it on a motorcycle without having to make like a serious lifetime choice but that flips the coin where like the guy that can get financing for 10 grand you can probably get financing for 20 grand. Yep. You can probably get financing for 30 oh, grand. Absolutely. And it just becomes like, well, how much do I want to, do I want to have a $150 payment? Do I want to have a $500 right? payment? Do I have three other things I'm more than making payments on? I don't want this. Da, 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 da. My space in my garage. Like there's, there's other factors there, but I think you've crossed that, that little gap that you're talking there is the crossing the threshold of the person who's paying cash versus the person who's paying 
in finance and they're they're coming from completely different worlds we talk about this thing in america like oh like the disappearance of of the middle class that's it right there yeah i think that's the thing that the industry has to take into account and i think that's i think that's going to be really hard for executives that are baby boomers who don't understand what millennials are going through you know like we look at quentin and you and our our parents are our baby boomers yep they they had a very I wouldn't say it was an easier map for their success in life, but it was a very go to college, get a good job. Structured. You're going to be, get a good, you go to college, you get a good job. You're going to be middle class, maybe better. And you're going to work your, you're going to work hard, raise up through the ranks in your company. And that's how you're going to be successful in life. And then you can retire. But for people like you and I, who are maybe raised with baby boomer values, but that promise didn't really come true. And I have a lot of classmates and I have a lot of people that are younger than me that were sold. In fact, we even see this with lawsuits. People that were sold on this idea of, hey, you're going to go to school, you're going to go to grad school and you're going to get this awesome job and life is going to be great, just like your parents were. It's going to work out just just like how it did for the baby boomers. But the difference is, is there's a lot more kids now. There's a lot more kids going to college. The marketplace is different. Blue collar jobs don't pay as well anymore. White collar jobs are are good, but they're, they're impacted and it's very competitive. And it's not so much like, Hey, did you go to college? But more like, what college did you go to? What grades did you get? Did you go get a graduate degree? Do you have a master's in that? Do you have a PhD? What's, what's your jam? And so you're coming out of school, like 80, $90,000 in debt because you went to some, you know, liberal arts school in Carlisle, Pennsylvania (laughs) and you're shit out of luck. Yeah. You know, it's tough. It's, it's a different world. And, um, and then we see the rise of technology and we see all these other changes and there's different values and where it's like, hey, you know what? I'd rather have my iPhone than that scooter or, yeah. or whatever that that yeah. trade-off is. And, and it's a digital age. And I'm trying to make a segue to electric motorcycles because we're seeing, I think for the for the motorcycle industry, there was this hope that electric motorcycles were going to be the secret sauce to getting younger riders onto bikes. And I feel like that's the kind of bullshit that motorcycle OEMs tell themselves like right before they go to sleep at night. So they'll fall asleep and sleep well, because it's just, it's just the idea of like, well, why, why would that be the case? Is there something that an electric motorcycle does differently than a gas powered motorcycle that all of a sudden is going to make it appeal to younger riders? Like I, I do think younger riders are more intrigued, but it's the same idea of like, it's still consumer discretionary income. Yep. It's still a recreational item. It might be transportation, but you're still having to compete against owning the car. And that's a very hard thing to compete with in the United States. Maybe that proposition is a little bit easier to make in Europe or other countries. But it's this idea, like, I think we put a lot of hope and prayer in electric motorcycles to save this industry. And we saw the industry latch onto it, you know, the last five years or so. And now it's kind of fizzled out. And I think it's because people were just realizing, like, well, electric motorcycle how much did those cost? Yeah. Okay. So now we're back into here's a vehicle you have to have credit to buy. Yep. Same fucking problem. And it better be an enticing thing. There has to be some gnarly added value to it for it to be to to be good to, for me to want it. Right. At the very least, it needs to be parity. But yeah, if you're going to pay more, it better have more, right? I mean, that's that's just basic comparison shopping. Yeah. And as far as the Alta goes, we're looking at a fifteen thousand dollar dirt bike. Right. Yeah. Well, yeah. So, so we should we should give some let's back. dig into let's, it. Let's, let's make a little transition. Um. So we are up, we're up at Brown's camp on the Alta taking rides. So this is a fifteen thousand dollar lights class, so two hundred fifty cc motocross bike. 
makes 40 horsepower at the wheel, 36 foot pounds of torque, which is at like zero RPM, flat as a table, torque curve, 251 pounds, I believe. And this is, when you say motocross, it's actually, I would call it, they called it the MX, but it was more like track ready supercross style instead Mm of Mm -hmm. motocross. The difference being um, no bar guards, no crash protection, no bash protection for off-roady stuff. 19-inch front uh, rear wheel instead of an 18, uh, so a, a smaller profile tire, um, or yeah, and and a few other things that just made it more race-ready instead of off-road trail riding ready. Yeah, and, and and I can tell you why because Alta's whole gig is to be kind of a race-oriented, a performance-oriented brand. Their whole gig is they want. They don't want to necessarily make electric bikes to save the manatees. They want to make electric bikes to be faster than gas bikes. So they're taking a very much a track focused approach. So it's yeah, supercross track, motocross track riding, supermoto track riding. And like the supermoto bike is street legal, but I think a big part of that is to help tap into federal electric uh, tax incentives. Kickbacks, yeah. But it is very much of like, hey, we want you to go take this bike to the cart track and compete in a 250cc supermoto class and realize that you fucking dominate. And and you know what? After riding it, I can see it clearly. Well, so that's the thing. So so I've definitely, I've been following this company for almost since I started. I remember riding the prototype. And when this is back when it was BRD, not all tall. They changed the name about a year or two ago. I rode the prototype in 2009 when it was still BRD and have basically watched this company go from three or four people to I think they have 40 now and it's been very interesting to watch this progression just from like a startup Silicon Valley business perspective but it's also been interesting to watch them go through the the kind of ups and downs of the the two-wheeled electric vehicle market you know kind of coming in at the height and now we're kind of in a doldrum and hopefully things are going to ramp up again uh, as we see more OEMs kind of come on board with electrics so I've definitely been on board I've liked this company a lot for a long time and I didn't want to skew your perspective any more than I probably already have in talking about them on the show and talking in our private conversations. But I was very curious to see for you as a haul ass fast guy in the road and in the dirt, hopping on this bike, having ridden a few electric bikes in the past, but maybe not as many as I have and maybe not as, no. as varied as I have, but just as approaching it as as a, as a true enthusiast, as a, as a motorcycle enthusiast who just likes going fast and, and how this bike resonated for you in that regard. So take it away right so i i I, because i had ridden a couple the the main bikes that i've ridden uh that are electric are the bramo and mm, which one impulse Impulse, the impulse which had with the with the gearbox the gearbox which was awful but the bike itself was actually rad the gearbox was just stupid and redundant uh but it was a lot of fun to ride that i enjoyed that bike quite a bit um uh, up in the hills near uh, motocorsa a couple years ago and also the energica ego which is a really fast super bike, right? Um, and so I've gotten a chance to ride both. And so that's very interesting because those two bikes are are very different. One's a high voltage system, one's more of a low voltage system. One has a gearbox, one does not. Yeah. So you've really seen the bookend of it. Sure. So I think that's that's an interesting perspective to keep in mind coming in too. Yep. So I've watched the uh, the battery indicator indicator drain as I'm circling the city on the bike that can do like 160 miles an hour and it, it's an impressive feeling and it feels like the future right speeding along on energica it definitely felt like so same with the bramo uh, through the trees with with my wife on back 
was a really cool feeling. Um, I liked both of them a lot, but you know, nineteen thousand dollars, thirty four thousand dollars, not even not even an inkling of maybe, right? It was just kind of like, tough. well, that's yeah. a novelty, you know, get ten grand, fuck yeah, bring it on. So with this thing, we. Uh, Jeremy Cleland and John Beckafee, who are the gentlemen that were the, um, uh, what, do, what do you call them, representatives of the brand. Uh, fortunately, I knew Jeremy um, very well from having worked with him at Ducati. So it was a cool thing to be able to, to, to be back and forth with somebody that I knew, right? And it wasn't just getting a sales pitch from from somebody that's you know, just pit, pitching the sales. This was like real. Pitching the bitch. Yeah, right. So I... I took you, him, and John uh, uh, to a place that I knew very well uh, that was close to the city because I had to get back to work halfway through the day. So I was like, all right, I can't take them where I really want to take them, but at least we can get a, a good run in. And also knowing uh, that you hadn't ridden off-road in a while and that both of those guys are fairly um, uh, new to it, I didn't want to take you to, play, up to a place that was too gnarly. So we ended up going to Brown's Camp, which is a very... There, you, you can pick some really cool yeah. trails. Choose, choose are, your own adventure. Kind yeah, of thing. And, and yeah. you can get in some hard stuff, but most of it's pretty easy. So we blast out, and I'm on my Christini, um, uh, which is a, a two wheel drive Honda based dirt bike, which I love and I've had for seven years. Which is a weird, cool bike in its own right. Yep, sure. And it, but it was it was strange to be the outlier on a on a gas bike, but whatever. So I lead. You guys are going. We go for I don't know, maybe an hour, an hour and a half. And I wasn't going to get on the thing until you got, you had had plenty of time to ride and that those guys were comfortable. And I wanted to see how everybody would ride. I didn't want to just go ripping and tearing on one of those things and then, you know, not, yeah, I, I just didn't feel right. So we stopped about halfway through the journey and got to a trail setup that I knew really well. Uh, up to that point, I'd been kind of, kind of guessing where we were going. And so I was like, all right, we're at Julie's trail. Give me that bike. I want to try it. I get on it. I, I, put, I leave it in mode one. Mode one is the most intrusive traction control level and, and least, least amount of power, right. or I should say least amount of throttle response. And power. And power. It's 75% power. 75 yeah. or 50? Yeah. 75. Yeah. So I get on it. Immediately, I notice the bars are really wide and there's nothing on them, which is a freak out for me because I'm used to having... Well, you. Well, your Christine's got like every little lever and switch. Yeah, possible. well, yeah. so I have a lever to turn off the freaking two wheel drive, and I have the uh, the hot start lever, and I yeah. have the 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 pad that goes you know in the in the front so that you don't bang yourself, and I have a headlight, and you know all the stuff, and so going onto a bike which literally a bar, a clamp, a, a little display which is really well done that's kind of built into the pad that goes on yeah. the triple clamp, and one side has a grip on it with with a uh, the the left hand side grip no lever and push buttons to, to change modes. And then the other side has the throttle. It's very simple. And you get on it and you're like, fuck, this thing is simple. There's nothing to it. That it's skinny. It's small. And it has the same shape as far as the, um, the radiator shrouds. Well, it's not really a radiator, but kind of is. It's the same thing that would normally be a gas tank shroud. They, they've had to build, you have to build it a, a certain way because bikes go from the steering head to the swing arm pivot. That's the way the frame structure works, whether you're sticking in a, a piston engine or, or electric motor. So you, it's an oddly similar feeling thing. But uh, anyway, you, you click it on, uh, you turn it on with one switch, and then you click on with another, which was a, a kind of an odd deal because then you're live and there's no other indication. And, you know, you're, you're used to a running engine saying, I have potential energy here, whereas this thing has potential energy just sitting there quiet, right, like a little mouse. So that's weird. 
Um, and that's the way all the electric bikes are, but it, it's hard to get your head around it if you're used to kickstarting a bike or, or, or using starter motor to get ready to go. And then you get out, you, you just twist the throttle a little bit and you're, I'm used to just snatchy, shitty feeling. And this thing was perfect right off the bat, like in that number one mode, uh, no problem. So I kind of give it a little burp and I'm like, all right, well, let's go. And then I just get right onto the trail. I didn't think about shifting. I didn't think about the clutch. All I had to do was get right on the throttle and the brakes. And that was neat. And by the time we did this quick little trail, I would say it was like five minutes. I get to the end and I'm like, that is badass because it, I didn't have to do anything. It worked. The suspension just soaked everything up that I needed to soak. The throttle wasn't quite there. It, I couldn't brap over some of the, the low roller bumps that I wanted to. And I couldn't quite get out of the corner the way I wanted to yet. But I knew there was some coming. and I just wanted to I wanted to see what that mode would be like all the way through. I wanted to get good at it. So then we went down another trail that was probably another five minutes. And in the middle of that one, I stopped and I and I put it into the mode two, which then gave me <clears throat> all of the braps or uh, what most we- of the braps. I forget. I forget the, the distinction between two, three and four. I know four is like full on. Let's Open. go. Yeah. Um, two and three are a little bit more watered down, but I do think two is full power at that point. But maybe a more gentler throttle map and whatever it was, it was more, perfect for yeah. me to do the things I needed to do. I finally was able to get some, sometimes, uh, handling issues are, are engine issues, right? Especially in the dirt, you can't get it to finish a corner because you can't get the power or the clutch isn't working well to brap out. Well, this thing was like that. I, I finally could back into a corner and get on the throttle I had to adapt to it a little bit compared to the, the piston engine bike. But once I did adapt and I was just, oh, it was thrust. The thrust was amazing. And I ended up jacking myself into corners way too quick and had a couple of really gnarly moments on the brakes um, because I was opening the throttle probably sense memory the same as I always would. And I was getting way more acceleration than I than I thought I was, uh, and the tra- the chassis was hooking up really well. The tires were really good. They were using some Bridgestones that were just rad. And one time when I I, I t- almost tucked the front and it just gripped for me uh, and mashed my manhood into the tank because I, I wasn't ready for it. Oh, dude, it's just and and the sound isn't gnarly, but there's still sound. So just you get this, yeah. this, and it's really neat. And that, so you hear a clanking of chain some suspension-y, clanky stuff, and then the zzzz, and I I like it. I thought it was rad. I was stoked by it. So I kept on riding it, and I was like, well, I kind of want my Christini back, but not really. I'll totally go this for this as long as I can, as long as Jeremy is okay riding that thing. But it fe- that, the, the Christini feels like a big, clunky, and this is a 250cc so Honda motocross bike. Comparable right? in, the w- in a way. A little bit. Yeah, I mean, they're, they're definitely... The Christini is not the perfect analog. I don't think no. that's the target that nope. Nope. Alta is chasing, but 250 class bike, off-road. And a little bit heavier. Like yeah. the Christini is 20 pounds heavier than a than a normal bike yeah. because of the, the two-wheel drive system. So really overall, I was like, put put give me my two-wheel drive version of that and I'd be stoked. Right? They're definitely working on one for the military. Yeah, well, that was something that Steve Christini told me. Uh, five or six years ago when I first started dealing with him once I got the bike and was needing parts and we had the conversations and the electric is silent but deadly, right? Silent but violent, right? I think you could say 
Um, yeah. One thing somebody did mention though, is that even though generally you don't hear them as well, the audible range of electric motors actually, it, it, it carries further. So if somebody was listening, well, it's higher pitch, right? So if somebody was listening, if say you had one of those little dishes and you're listening to the woods, you probably get picked up quicker, but just human ear, dude, it's weird to have the three of you just appear at the end of a trail. Well, that was the thing that was funny for me. When you were on the Christine, I knew where you were because I had the reference. I could hear it. I'm like, yep. oh, but then we had a little moment where you were leading on the Alta and we got separated. And I was like, oh, where'd that fucker go? Because now I, I can't hear him. Yeah. So it's just kind of like, if I can't see you, if yeah. I don't have line of sight. I'm SOL. Sure. But it is cool. I've always, I've always enjoyed the sound of electrics. And I know like there's a lot of motorcyclists that get really poopy about, oh, you know. I mean, I got to have the sound. I want the visceral. And it's like, hey, you're talking to a guy that owns like a bajillion V-twin, you know, big bore V-twin bikes. Like I get the sound thing. Like I'm, yeah, I'm picking up sure. bikes for a reason uh, in my garage because of a certain attribute that they have. And one of them is the sound. That being said, I don't miss the sound when I'm on an electric bike. No. And I really like the fact that like we get to a trailhead or we get to a junction, we have to wait and you just roll right up and it's like, Hey, Quentin, what'd you think? Yeah, how's it going? That was a good section. That was fun. That was a lot of cool. Like, <laughs> was so neat. I don't have to turn off the bike. Sure. I don't have to like get my earplugs out because I have to like have earplugs in because I might go deaf while I'm riding the bike. Yeah, and be like, I can just I can just have a conversation. And that's especially for the off road people. That's something that's going to really save this sport because there is no sound. There's less intrusion. It's going to be a little bit more public friendly, public space use friendly in that regard. Um, it'll open up riding opportunities in places you can't ride now like you we could totally we could totally have a little motocross track down here at woodstock park and yeah. no one would give give an f i mean other than the use of land and all that jazz but no one would care because it's not like brr, 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 you know six yeah. o'clock outside your window and it's just sure. no mountain view motocross track out near sandy oregon it's in a quasi residential farm area and you can only practice there well, they only have it open on Tuesdays and Saturdays and sometimes Sundays or whatever, right? Yeah. Man, that because of that. So can you imagine if you're one of those places and you say, hey, we're going to have uh, the ability to run on uh, Wednesday, Thursday, and Friday, mm-hmm. E only, mm-hmm. right? Think about Laguna Seca. Oh, dude, yeah, sure. I remember, so, so a housing development just recently went in right where the go-kart track is in McMinnville where I go supermoto riding. Yeah. And I was looking at that. I'm like, yeah, just give it time. Yeah, sure. Just given time, those things are all going to fill up and it's going to be like a year or two and people can get super shitty because it's go-kart, you know, yeah. Saturday night. Yeah. And, you know, or it's motor or it's super motorbikes or whatever it is. And it's just a matter of time, even though the damn track's been there for years before that housing development was there, it's just a matter of time before people get angry and like, I don't like that in my backyard. And what about the emissions? But electric starts solving a lot of those problems, which is interesting. And not um, worrying about saving the manatees. Seriously, we we like the fact that there's a potential that when you plug the thing in, you're getting it from either scrubbed coal or wind well, or hydroelectric or whatever, especially in Oregon so and Washington. You, you, If I had an electric bike and you plugged it into my outlet, it is 100% renewable energy because I pay an extra three bucks a month to make sure I do that. Right. And a lot of people get poopy in California because they know that they can't get that because right. it's backwards. Or they're just... They're, the states are, I mean, there's no, there's no way to do it unless that's, you have nuclear power. That's a whole different problem. I know. That's a larger issue sure. of, of energy and resources and what the fuck we're doing as a country on a national level. But 
I yeah, but that's a whole other rabbit hole. I know. I, I know. Into. I'm just making mention. That's one of the first things somebody says. They start talking shit. It's like just shut up, right? Yeah, I, I don't. That's not what we're about here. We're about, as you said, a superior propulsion mechanism instead right. of a piston engine. So, so that's my question. So that's I want to get back to that. Riding the the Alta, viewing it in comparison, like it's like this or a CRF 250R or whatever it is. You know, how would that stack up in your mind? Uh, it, well, as far as performance, it, it was equal or better. The question would be is over tw- time, would I get bored with it and want to go back to switching gears and using a clutch, right? There there are good things about that, the the, the way a clutch works, right? So there's, there's another thing that a lot of uh, off-road people use is called a recluse clutch. It's kind of an automatic clutch. And it, much like the two-wheel drive, it's a crutch it, not just a clutch it's a crutch it is a make it easy to ride thing where you don't even have to use a clutch you just accelerate forward and the mechanism inside the clutch allows you to go and you don't have to worry about feathering it or loading it up in any way shape or form you just go so there's a bit of that where you're kind of like oh this is pressing the easy button all i have to do is throttle and brake but I, I don't i'm not that bothered by it i can see over the course of time getting maybe bored with it uh, but for me doing what we did, uh, I wasn't going to be able to tame it. There was plenty of power, 40 horsepower at the rear wheel doing trail riding in the Tillamook forest was plenty. I can't even imagine for a second that it would be, uh, I'd be running out even at China had an, at an, uh, uh, a more open OHV area. But the problem would be then uh, battery life, right? Well, that's the interesting thing. So we rode just about three hours. I'm, I don't know how much battery you had on yours but 35. i had about five okay so we're about the same i think it was 35 36 so we had about another third of the battery left so yep trail riding to brown's camp we probably could have gone four four and a half hours and been just fine is it exponential once it starts running out that would be the one thing i'd want to know is does as you're getting closer to running out it does the energy dissipate quicker or does it not matter no it shouldn't matter i didn't think so um the whole thing the way the base the battery life on it's it's just at a certain voltage you have to stop using things because you're going to do damages to the battery pack yeah. so it's like oh the battery system's gone from 300 volts to 250 or whatever we gotta knock that shit off um but yeah though the, the the percentage should be linear i didn't have much range anxiety i i understood where we were at with it and i knew where i out of everybody in the in the group knew where we were right so i because I had zero clue. It, we did some twists and turns, and it and it was a, a a miraculous thing that I was able to 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 get where we were going using the map, and and got to the point where like okay, we can just get on roads and go. And frankly, it was more because I had to get back to work. Uh, otherwise, I would have continued on the loop. And I'm the type of person that stretches gas anyway. Uh, so stretching electric power, I'd be like, all right, we might have to walk for a little ways, but it won't be. It'll be close. Right in my head, mm-hmm. I had this rest of the loop to go, and we probably could have gone four and a half hours easy um, to to get back to the to the to the van. And then you plug it in, and I don't know what they said as far as how long it takes. Two and a half hours. Two and a half to from from zero to hundred. Yeah, that's pretty good. Yeah, I I wouldn't. I would say if 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 you have a, a van uh, with the uh, inverter in it, because the motocross bikes did not have inverters in them. You have to plug them into something that is an inverter. Right. 
whereas the road-going bikes that they're making has an inverter on it. It's about 20 pounds more, but that means you can literally plug into anywhere. And you're good to go. Yep. yep. So in this case, if you if you had the inverter, and that may be part of the cost of the bike is deciding what you want to do. Do you fill up the bike when you're at home and go for your four-hour ride, or do you fill it up at home, go out for the ride, come back, turn on the engine of your car and or, or your generator, generator yeah. um, and sit and have lunch and BS for an hour, not even two hours. I'm just saying an hour. Come come back with 30% and leave again with 85 and go for another brap. I, I I would be tired. That kind of works, right? Yep. There's, there's a certain element of that that, like, it kind of works. Uh, I understand. I understand people with the, the gas and the range anxiety. Like, I definitely had range anxiety when we got on the bikes, to be, to be totally honest, because I didn't know how far we go. I knew that electric bikes shine better at slower speeds than they do at higher speeds. And I knew the trails we were riding were more technical and slower. So we weren't going to be like draining the battery, but you know, I was really surprised to come back and be like, wow, we did that much riding with, with 65% of the battery pack. And that last, which isn't bad, two miles or three miles that we did roads. Flat track race. And it was (laughs) fast. Yeah. And these things are fast, like really dangerous fast like no bullshit that's a really impressive thing and i had it in that two mode and jeremy was like all about having me do wheelies so i i'm not a wheelie person I, i've never been able to find really a balance aren't. point you i really, really am not and <laughs> i i was able to get her up pretty easily i just couldn't i, I like i would want to learn how to wheelie on that bike seriously it the power is just smooth enough to where and controllable the torque is so good that I, I'm pretty sure I would I would have a lot of fun, and if I'd have put, posted it up into third or fourth, th- or the number three or four modes, um, I'm sure I would have been able to get more comfortable with it. But in two and just slow speed, pop the throttle, maybe give it a little bump and brap, and it would go. Oh my gosh, it was neat. It was very neat. I love the power production. Love the the way to, whatever the traction control. You don't feel it working, obviously, because it's more of a smooth thing than a piston engine cutting out cylinders and stuff. But it, they got the shit set up. The, the, the chassis with Brembo brakes and, that look like they're straight off a of KTM or Husqvarna, uh, WP suspension uh, uh, with a 4CS front, whatever that. It's the, it's the, the fancier the top yep. of the line stuff. Yep. They're, they're not air chamber. They're, they're spring, uh, yep. uh, steel spring suspension. Really well set up. The chassis itself, 250 pounds. There was a time I had to turn around on the trail once and I had to grab the bike and move it, and yeah, you can feel the 250 pounds, right? You feel it. And it's all in that big chunk of chunk of hunk of burning battery right in the center. Yeah, whatever. I'm not bothered by it. It wasn't really any that big of a deal. And you don't feel it on the track or on, on the trails at all. And it just felt really good on the road. Like flat track, forget about it. That's what I want to do with that thing for sure. Right. I can imagine going out to Salem Indoor Flat Track yeah. and just ripping and tearing on yeah. the thing. It'd be so rad. Yeah. Jeremy, you, you listen to that? I hope you are. <laughs> That's a good example of where electrics, I think, have the advantage over the gas bikes. Um, especially something like Alta, who have a very good throttle response. There's There's other bikes out there that don't. And that's, that really is what separates, at least for me, when I hop on an electric bike, that's the first thing I look at is what that minimal throttle input, that low speed, you know, initial breaking of traction kind of throttle input looks like, because it's a very, very difficult thing to get right with the controller and the electronics package and the throttle maps and all that stuff. Like you really have to know what the fuck you're doing to get that together. 
And that's one of the things that really shines a Falta. And, and Energica actually does this really well. And Mission did it really well. You can really see that the more software-focused brands have have latched onto that. And I was very actually surprised. I didn't know that the, the Altas had a traction control. They ca- didn't call it traction control. It's like traction mitigation or whatever. It's it's the poor man's traction control. Well, it's rate of change right. instead of a front and right. front to rear wheel sweep. We, we talked about that with the Husky yep. uh, a few shows ago. So it's it's still a traction control setup in the sense that like it is monitoring the, the grip of the wheel and making changes to the throttle input. I didn't know they had that system uh, on there. So that was cool to see because that's kind of now a kind of a top tier thing. That's something that Husqvarna and KTM and Kawasaki, cool I think, have, but like other brands, Honda, Yamaha, Suzuki don't. And it's kind of, that's the next step. And it worked. And it was good. Yeah. It, that for me is like the real impressive. And then you have that flat, that flat torque curve and you know, 40 horsepower at the rear wheel. Like my Husky is a 477 and it makes, I think, 47, 48 at the rear wheel. Yeah. And that's not a conservative dyno. So we'll call it 50 ish. Didn't miss it. Didn't miss the power because no. it's right in there. I sure. would I'd be really curious to take the supermoto bike out to McMinnville and and do some laps on that and do compare and contrast because I don't think for a you know I'm doing little air quotes 250cc class bike, I don't think I'm gonna be losing much to my open class bike. I think they're gonna be really I think it's the rider and I think it's really just coming down to the advantages because 36 foot pounds of torque across the torque curve. <sighs> Well, then we get to the price being fourteen five or fourteen nine fourteen nine nine five fifteen grand. Yeah, don't ever have to buy gas. Don't have to do any maintenance other than change the oil every year and after the first hour or first hundred miles or something. So the oil, there's oil uh, um, in a gearbox and there's coolant that runs through the frame um, to char- uh, to cool the. Uh, um, well, I, I don't know if it's just the battery, the, uh, the uh, what do you call, not the battery management system, but the controller, right? The controller takes all that energy and shunts it to the, uh, to the motor from the batteries, and that, that usually gets hot, so that's liquid-cooled. And I, but there's nothing, there's not much you have to do. I'm sure there's... You've got liquid-cooled the motor, too. I mean, that's the difference with, with air-cooled motors that, like, I think Zero is still running an air-cooled motor, but we saw that, like, early, early days... Uh, like Isle of Man TT, the, the first Agni, bike they went, the or Agni, Agni or whatever it is. The Agni, it means fire in Hindi, I believe. Yeah, I'll be curious to see. I mean, I think the price is still tough, fifteen grand. And you look at like the comparables, you look at the Honda, you look at a KTM, and they're going to be just under ten. So you're already commanding a fifty percent price increase, and you know maybe there's a value of like health, fuel, and maintenance. But even then, like it kind of sit there and like doesn't wash uh, it out. Yeah, unless you're like just rebuilding your motor like four times a season or something silly like that, it's probably not going to be a true break even for you. So there's going to have to be kind of a premium to pay to, to have the electric and, and to be different and to be an early adopter. Um, I change or, or, or to pay for the extra performance or the difference in performance. Cause I don't know if, I mean, for me, I enjoyed it a lot more than I would a gas bike, not a lot more, but I enjoy the electric motors and the way they, they work. Yeah from a performance perspective a lot more, I do think they are superior. Do I, do I think they're five grand more superior? That's probably tough. That's probably tough. That bike yeah. gets down to 13, 12, like you said, 10. If it's 10 grand. That's the price it's point. It's like, well, I don't even think 10 grand is the price point because 10 grand is literally the same price you're going to pay for a KTM. A 250cc, four-stroke, 
KTM motocross bike is yeah, nine, eight a, or something it's like a, that. That's a premium brand, right? So uh, a, a 250 Honda. Yeah, but the Honda is like nine, three. So you're kind yep. of all in all the right. same spot. Well, you get, that's what I'm saying. Get right there. And that would be the, that would mean that your, your average person would, would start looking at it instead of just the people that want to be fancy. Right. I don't think, I don't think that's necessarily, true. I think 10, I think you can still be 10 and be like, yeah, we're a little bit more, but flat torque curve, 40 horsepower at the wheel. You get the weight down to where they're the same. You can be like, oh, which which one do you think's faster? Yeah, come at me, bro. Come at me, bro. You're still probably gonna put an exhaust on that on that silly thing and do some <laughs> yeah, other right? stuff. So there's more more expense, and you got to change your oil every weekend. Yeah. Yuck. So I, I get it. I think they can command a little bit of a premium over the gas bikes, but not five grand. No. Now I know they're working on an enduro model, and I think that's gonna make a lot more sense. Where you say, okay, now here's we're gonna put some lights, license plate, signals. Tax and credit. now you can get your tax credits. That gets you down to like thirteen grand, and you're kind of like, ah, okay, you're getting closer. You're getting closer. That's going to be an easier sell, and I think the Supermoto is an easier sell because you look at how much a um, a road legal Supermoto got. Well, that's an interesting segment. I'm going to kind of backtrack on that because it's like DRZ or a Husqvarna or like the, old 20... the doors of Duro. I don't even sell the doors of Duro anymore. I can hear Shane right now being like, hey, sell the doors of Duro still. Sorry, Shane. I don't know if you guys are selling doors of Duro. Or not. No, no hyper. No, you can't yeah, really hyper. call that. Yeah. The, the Yamaha WR250. I don't know if they're selling that in the US again. I don't think so. Because it's like every other year with them on that, but that would be one. That would be one for sure. That'd be directly analogous because it's a 250 class bike. Yeah. But the the Husky's a 701, so it's a 690. Kawasaki the, made one for a while. They don't anymore. Yeah. So that's the thing. Like Supermoto is not really big enough in the U.S. That's a fair segment to compare in. But thirteen grand for it is not bad. Not, not horrible. Bad. Not horrible. No. You're kind of reasonable. But I, I wouldn't do it right now. I I would like to. If somebody said, "Hey, I'm going to either give you um, uh, the Honda, you name it, and or the, the electric," I'd take the electric for sure. Just not if you're paying. No, not right now. I don't. I don't, I don't need it. All right. Not not yet. You mean that because you already have a, a bike? Yeah, okay. uh, dude, I've had the same bike since two thousand nine. I don't need anything more. Okay, than that. okay, but let's let's play let's play like a, a thought experiment. You know, tree falls down next to your house, crushes your garage. What do I replace? You're, you're replacing my... the you're replacing the stable. Do you go get a Honda or another Christini, or do you look at an Alta? Oh yeah, I'd I'd buy the three hundred two stroke Christini <laughs> like quickly. <laughs> like it wouldn't even be a question. There, yeah. There's a yeah, but if for, that's like nine or nine that's, or that's ten a grand. Weird, that's another weird bike. It is, but that's me. So yeah. I, I would either find a KTM three hundred that had a Christini kit on it, or most likely just buy the the gas gas engine three hundred that they have. Just because that's what I like. I want a two stroke and yeah, I'm I'm nutty like that. But that would be that's me now. Um I would contemplate the electric if they had a two-wheel drive version. <laughs> of course, I would. I would be all about it. But uh, I don't know. That's a. Uh, I, I I frankly, if if my XR650 didn't get crushed in the same, I would just keep. I just go to my XR and ride that. You know, I'm I'm pretty easy to please. I I luck out with some some interesting stuff, but I don't have to have anything too too gnarly myself. Two wheels and and the two wheels that functions. <laughs> That's what I like. So as far as the electric stuff, yeah, it it is fascinating and I love it. And I think it's great and I hope it gets better, but it's going to have to get closer to, to what the piston engine stuff is price-wise for, for me to be in it. Yeah. I can see that. I, I, I'm kind of the same. Like I'm looking, like when you and I talked about maybe unloading my Husky. So if someone's in the market for a Husqvarna SMR 511, low miles, lightly used, 
might have a little problem with oil in the air box. <laughs> Let me know. But, you know, and I was kind of thinking down the line, because I, I like Supermoto, I like going to the track a lot. You know, for me, the the Redshift SM could be that bike. I'm really more of a 450 class kind of guy, though. Like, like that was like, I've always been a little put off, like, oh, you guys going after the 250cc class? Like, for what we do in the dirt when we go to Rounds Camp, because it's probably where I ride off-road like 75% of the time. Like, that's just, it's the easy yep. go-to Portland place. Yep. I don't have a lot of time because um, our buddies or, or even you end up riding mostly on Mondays. Yeah. So I don't have a lot of time on Mondays to, to commit to something like that. Monday's a really busy day for me uh, with A&R. But the 250 makes perfect sense. 250 off-road bike is perfect sense for that. And I could see like, yeah, that could work. But for the Supermoto, I'd be like, hmm, I really would like to have that, at least in my mind, the 450 class version if there is one or if it's in the works. But after riding the 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 MX and then talking to him, like, because I always thought the 40 horsepower rating was at the motor and it's at the wheel. And like, well, 40 horsepower at the wheel is, it's not 450 class power, but it's close. And it's a flat torque curve. Like, that's what I'm saying. Like, I really think if I got it to the cart track, I don't think there'd be much I'd be missing there, which would fill a nice little recreation thing for me. And then around yeah. town, obviously, it's it's perfectly fine for portland around town because portland's only nine miles wide i could i could ride it all day and not worry no, about battery sure. power and sure just come home and charge it up again yeah and i thought about that with the enduro if if if, if they come out with a good enduro i, I would have to I'd, I'd have to look at that now would i supplant the xr with the enduro maybe right that would be more along the lines of something i would consider um that's tough too because i the xr i can you know there's no better way to carry energy than a gallon of gas, man. It's such a an See, that's amazing. Why I think, that's why I think hybrids are going to yeah. be um, the way to go. And I don't mean hybrids like like Prius hybrid. I mean electric motor with a gas generator hybrid. Yeah. Which I you know actually if you go back and look at it, that's what Alta is working on uh, sure. for the U.S. military is they're doing the electrical side of that equation. Yeah. They have, they have a project they're based makes with. perfect sense. And that for me, like I really feel like that's that's the holy grail for this this point in time because I don't know if lithium ion uh, I was gonna say lithium ion but there's lithium batteries in general are the future for electrics I don't know if it's super capacitors or graphene or or what uh, is gonna fix that but electric motors as the drivetrain I I totally believe in and then whatever has to power that whether it's a fuel cell a generator a capacitor yeah. or a battery or what it's hard for a lot of people to get their heads another, around that. that's a whole nother can of worms but like yeah you sit there and you have like a gas generator and i can just fill that fucker up put it like a gallon of gas in there turn it on and it just does this little pup, 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 and i've got my little zzz, zzz, just zipping around that's a pretty cool package yeah to get the weight down it'd be tough if they're already well, no, most of it's battery. Most, most of the of weight's battery. battery. So, so that's if you the could, thing. So how many how many pounds? I don't, I don't know this off the top of my head. How many? You know, you got let's say call let's call it six kilowatt hours of battery. How much does that weigh in terms of the battery pack and the BMS? Yeah, and sure, sure. I guess you still have to have a controller. You probably have to have some sort of battery and some BMS in there somewhere. Yeah, but yeah, it's, yeah. it's a lot, probably a lot more rudimentary sure, and sure. a lot more um, smaller. It could work. It could work. And then especially if you're not trying to get a 250 weight, if you're trying to do a 300 pound bike, you know, like uh, something that would take on like the, a KTM 690 or yeah. a Husky 701 or, or one of those larger kind of street bikes that only make, you know, 
60, 70 horsepower, starts getting interesting. Starts getting interesting. So cool to see um, the technology progressing. Cool to see automotors starting to deliver on their production. They're not vaporware anymore. They can yeah. they can rubber stamp that they are making deliveries. Um, I just saw Mark, the CEO, was getting delivery of his bike. Uh, I think he's getting bike like number 10 or 11. So they're rolling out of the uh, the factory in Brisbane, California, which is kind of cool. So we and we got to ride. We're probably I don't know. They've they've had a few people on these things, but we're we're probably in the top 100 of first riders on these things, maybe. Yeah, probably. Which is pretty neat. I, I thought that was cool. So it was a treat for. I, I guess it's the plus of having been in the industry and gotten to work with some cool people and working with you and being around it. Where it's like, hey, Quentin, you would never guess who's coming up. Can you get Tuesday off? And I'm like, yes. Yeah. Right. Well, I think it's helped that I've I've probably been around them for a while and sure, they were san francisco sure. locals so i had a lot of access to and they them. knew that you were a fan so i mean even no i drank the kool-aid like i i totally i will totally raise my hand and and, and get that out there because i don't want to yeah you know be like oh i'm i'm mr from a journalist journalist and i have you know an unbiased like no i'm totally biased like i really i believe in these guys i i think they're doing a good thing i like what they're doing for the industry i like the way they're approaching it because they're approaching it the way i would approach it I'm not here to save the manatees not here to save the trees, save the koalas, clean up the It's earth. a cool after effect. I like I like that. I'm yeah. I'm a pro environment kind of guy, but that's not why I'm riding a motorcycle and that's not why I like electrics. Yeah. I like riding motorcycles because I like to go fast. And I want it to get on the bike that makes me go fast. And I think electrics are faster than gas bikes. And that's what Alta thinks too. Yeah, no, it'll be interesting to see watch them prove that out. Right. And that's the great experiment. Um I can tell you one thing I didn't like when we had to get on the bike. You know, you swing your leg over and you get, you know, you fire it up and you do the controls and it's, yep. it's ready to go. Yeah. And like, you're ready to get going and you got that, like, that feeling. That feeling and, and you, and you want to no, put the kickstand up, but you and can't. There's, there's no, you got to go there's triangles no down. Triangle had to go down. Yeah. Kickstand's up. Yeah. Right, good talk. See you out there. Later. Oh, <laughs> uh, poor Kevin. Hey. <laughs> Heard your hot mom is coming to town. Send. Oh, well, I hope I sent that to the right Kevin. <laughs> <laughs> Kevin's like, well, she is. She, 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 yeah, you heard correct. You, your information's correct, sir. Yeah. <laughs>